Hi, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Ann Eglash. I'm a clinical professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and a board-certified lactation consultant. This podcast is produced by the Institute for the Advancement of Breastfeeding and Lactation Education and is co-sponsored by the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Hi, Melissa. How are you? Hi, Ann. I'm doing great. Great. It's sunny here in New Jersey in February, so I'm happy. Very nice. Well, um, so thanks for joining me on the podcast today. And I'm wondering if we could just start out by having you introduce yourself. Yes. Um, Well, thanks so much for having me on this podcast. Um, My name is Dr. Malisa Khan. I'm a family medicine physician in Montclair, New Jersey. Um, I specialize you know, certainly in primary care family medicine, and I run my own DPC, but I have a special interest in fourth trimester care, including breastfeeding medicine, um, but emphasizing supporting moms uh, comprehensively in the time after birth. Um, And well, that's kind of the, the basic of what I do right now. Awesome. Thank you. So we're talking today about fourth trimester care, which certainly has become um, almost like a conversation at the dinner table for many people, but there are a lot of people who don't know what fourth trimester care is. So yeah. if you could just tell me what is the fourth trimester and what is fourth trimester care? Yeah. And, um, and those are two, you know, distinctions. There's a distinction there, what the fourth trimester is and what fourth trimester care medically can entail. Um, so the fourth trimester is the period after birth. So essentially starting at the moment that the child is born, um, going up till about 12 weeks. And of course there's the first trimester, second trimester, third trimester, each lasting about 12 weeks. Um, so consistent with that, uh, the pediatrician Harvey Karp came up with the name, the fourth trimester, because he felt that infants need a lot of similar care to what they're getting in the womb, meaning they need you know, warm, snuggly environment, um, shushing noises that they might hear from amniotic fluid. So he thought, and he found results with the children he was taking care of when you could um, take care of them in this way, uh, treat them almost as if they're in the womb. They seem to be soothed more easily. They seem to do better. And he's famously also known for creating the snoo, which does some of those things, uh, this new basket, uh, bassinet. Um, so this, this four trimester term was really kind of promoted by him and emphasized infant care. Um, and then after this three month period, it seemed to him that babies developed sort of, um, differently. They were more apt at being in the environment outside the womb and they could be soothed in different ways. Um, and they needed different things in modern times in the last few years, really this term fourth trimester, fourth trimester or fourth trimester care became really popular. Um, and people started referring to that period of those first 12 weeks of also maternal care. So uh, identifying that mothers in this important time right after birth needed a special type of attention or care. Now, medically, there's not really an emphasis on this time or this um this period you have your 6 week uh, postpartum visit um 
But medically, there's not a lot of emphasis on how we support families and mothers during this critical period. And anybody that's had a child birthed before uh, is a parent of a child knows that this time is so critical. So many things are changing. And oftentimes, especially in Western culture, you're and, and certainly in American culture, you're often left to deal with that on your own. Um, you know, this the sleeplessness, the 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 difficulties with feeding that go back and forth. And they're so tenuous in those first few days or first few weeks. And you know, by the six-week visit, most people are kind of, you know, they've found a middle ground. They're they're generally doing a lot better. And from an OB perspective, uh, medically, things have settled out, you know, like maybe incisions have healed, maybe uh, you know, if there was a vaginal tear, that's all should be resolved. So it's kind of a checkbox way of saying like things are fine at six weeks, but we know that the real work happens between zero and six weeks and persists, especially, you know, if you think about lactation and feeding, so many things are being established in the first six to, and can even, depending on your body, can go up to 12 weeks. And the fourth trimester encompasses, you know, fourth trimester care is trying to um, address and acknowledge that all of those things are happening in those first 12 weeks, not to mention also, you know, the, the emotional changes, the changes in your identity, maybe your social structures are changing. Certainly physical things are changing that might not even be addressed in the medical setting, like um, sexual desire, um, uh, comfort, um, with exercise, nutrition could be changing. So there are these vast things that are changing, certainly with feeding and sleep, which is often emphasized, but then there's also vast um, comprehensive change that happens. Anybody that's been through it knows that this is a really big transition, even though it might not be acknowledged or emphasized. So for trimester medical care um, aims to address that period of time, not only for the mom or the birthing person, but also the the child, the, the infant, the newborn, and the family as a whole. So it looks at the family as a whole. Right. Yeah. So I've heard women say things like, oh, if, if, I think every woman should know about public floor therapy, postpartum. We don't talk about that. Yeah. Emotional changes. Yeah. There are so many issues. Even skin, like hair falling out. Like they have to Google. Yes. Yes. I know who talks about that or the risk of thyroiditis starting at three to four months, things like that. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot happening for sure. Um, so tell me, so you, you and I are both family physicians and I've been a family physician for more than 30 years and being a female and emphasize and mm-hmm. having a specialty in breastfeeding medicine, my practice has largely been mother baby. And so I feel like I've been doing fourth trimester care this whole time. So tell me what makes, like, how is this different than good old family medicine? And I know that there are some pediatricians and OBs involved in this field as well. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an excellent question. And having gone through family medicine training um, and been through the, that kind of soup to nuts, right? Birth to death training, you feel you might hear, and I've thought about this when I forwarded, okay, I'm doing this kind of work to my colleagues who are family medicine physicians, that they might say, look at it and say, like, what is that? We we already do that. That's that's what we do. And and I love family medicine for that because there's a lot of things that people say, you know, uh, 
let's let's treat birth to death. Okay, we're doing that. We're, there's a specialty for that. Um, let's treat moms and babies together. Yes, there's a specialty for that. It's, it's family medicine. We are equipped to see the whole picture. It doesn't mean that we're specializing in, in every problem that might come up, but we are equipped and we are specializing in seeing that whole picture and, and knowing how to, to process that complex um, experience. Um, and I went to a wonderful institution, Brown Family Medicine, where there was this heavy emphasis on maternal child care, which I actually didn't know anything about. Um, going into residency, I thought I wanted to do community health, um, 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 uh, provide care in under-resourced areas, um, underserved settings. And that was kind of my 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 mentality going into it. And I, and I was surprised by my colleagues who said, oh, I'm so glad I'm here. I want to do mother baby health. I want to do maternal child health. I want to do OBs. I want to do deliveries. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm here for the ride. Um, and what an eye-opening experience to be in that setting. Cause not all family medicine residencies have, they have different emphasis because it is such a wide scope of practice. Um, so I was in that setting. So I felt when I had a child in um, my third year of residency that I kind of like, I knew everything, you know, I'm, I'm a third year resident. What more is there to know? Um, obviously there's naivete being a resident, naivete being a first time mom. Um, but also when I went through the experience, I started seeing the gaps in care. I started seeing the holes um, in teaching and, and not that I had all the years of experience, but I did have a good robust training and I had colleagues and teachers who, um, you know, attendings who had years of experience, but there were still gaps in care. And I started to find that people go through the system, myself included, um, pulling along this trauma and this, you know, this kind of this dissonance from inadequate care in the postpartum time. And we often internalize that and we take it along like, it's just what it is. You know, a lot of people just would say, even attendings, well, it just is what it is. You have to deal with it. You have to, whatever, you have to come in when you're 38 weeks pregnant and be in the ER. That's just what you have to do. And not that not that that's not true, but there is a level of acknowledgement, understanding, and attention to the to the birthing person that I felt lacked. And I didn't know what that meant or what to do about it until, you know, years of my own practice and having another kid and saying, starting to then get into, you know, the main issue for me at, with my first kid being breastfeeding and feeling like what a lack of knowledge. So that's, a, that was a big first gap. And I started to fill that gap with my own, ex, you know, experiences and, uh, you know, joining IABLE, um, learning on my own and then feeling like, okay, that fills some things. And that's a huge thing that's needing to be filled, but there's still other gaps in care. And it's these nuances, some of them that you mentioned, like pelvic floor dysfunction, um, um, you know, postpartum medical issues like thyroiditis. And certainly you could go to the doctor if you're feeling ill, but you also want that paradigm um, to acknowledge and understand this before it happens so that you can have an understanding of what is possible. And then, 
you know, there's those medical issues, physical things like, you know, how to exercise, uh, sexual desire. But then there is this bigger concept of your personal identity and transitioning to becoming a, a person who is birthed or a parent. Um, and that that part is, I think, the piece that's lacking. And we see it in adolescent care. We see it in um, geriatric care and, and hospice care, death and dying. Um, we see that there, there are specialties that focus on this, but for matrescence, for becoming a, a person who has birth or considered birth or had a loss, there is a gap there. And not just a gap in care, but a gap, gap of understanding what that person's going through. And I, I kind of, you know, I have a, my own bend on it that, you know, the culture doesn't value this person, you know, the, this person in this period of time, and they value their work and being in the workplace, but they don't value that person for birthing. And that also then leads to lack of care, lack of emphasis in medical care, lack of emphasis in, you know, paid med paid family leave for, for birthing and various other things. Right, right. So when we talk about um, having a fourth trimester practice, um, clearly as a family physician, you may do things that are different than someone who's OB and pediatrics. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about what that practice looks like. And, and can people who are family physicians just incorporate fourth trimester care into their routine practice, you know, their typical brick and mortar practice or being part of a large healthcare system. Can they also say that they do fourth trimester care? And what it sounds like what you're describing is that their care would look different, like rather than, oh, mm -hmm. you come in at six weeks and then you're done. There is like a different uh, journey that they're being within which they are cared for. Yes, I, I think that, you know, a lot of uh, new uh, four trimester doctors, and I say new because it's a new field. So most people that are providing this type of care have started to do so in the last five years. So it's it's really a new field, even though there's probably some people out there that have done a similar thing. Of course, we know doulas along have a huge long history of this is the type of work they do. The one caveat being that it's not medical. So um, they do amazing work and they have this holistic, um, comprehensive look. Um, so we we have that model that, and we also have uh, family medicine and medical care model. So if you kind of thinking about melding those two together conceptually, um, you could bring this type of work into your practice. Now, a lot of people that do this do home visits or they have a cash uh, direct primary direct care type practice um, that affords them more time, flexibility, you know, the ability to call your patients, text them, which you might have restrictions in a traditional practice. Um, so ideally, if you could provide this kind of care and do it in, in, in that model, that's wonderful. And I think that's sort of the ideal ideal because there's freedom and then sustainability as well, because the person needs to get paid um, to be able to continue to do the work. Um, but then if you can't, if you can't change your whole model, say you are in a fee-for-service practice, I've thought also, you know, a lot about, well, what can I tell someone so they can just do it right now? What could they do right now? So I think number one is that you have to shift your paradigm. You have to think of this as a critical, important transition where the person needs to be uh, supported in a holistic, comprehensive way. And you have to acknowledge not 
only the birthing person, obviously their infant as well, and their support person, spouse, family member, whoever's their main person. Usually people have one main person and maybe some other important people is there as well. Um, so it's just a, it's that paradigm shift of saying, okay, this, this is a fundamental critical life transition instead of the, the common narrative, which is it's just something that happens. You kind of have to deal with it. You'll kind of figure it out. And I've heard even moms, um, people who have birthed already say, what's the point of this work? You know, you're going to just figure it out. It doesn't make any sense until you've birthed already, which I disagree with. And I think that's the paradigm. Our paradigm promotes that narrative. But if we can change that narrative and say, this is important, you are important, families are important, let's think about what that means. Then now we're going to have that curious mindset to open up the conversations, whether it's in a prenatal visit, um, whether it's in a newborn weight check, um, whether it's in your family medicine continuity, you know, you have a continuity type clinic where you see uh, people who birth and you see them postpartum and you see their children, you're, cha- you're seeing, you're changing your mindset to see the other narratives that are going to be happening, the other stories that are happening in this person's life and their, their lived experience. So it's, it's, it's a sort of a narrative medicine focused um, humanistic model. People say it's, it's kind of all one in the same and you can apply this to all medicine. You know, I think it's great. Um, But especially um, in this kind of moment of, of a very tender transition, we want to put that lens on. We want to really not forget to use that. Right. And I think, right. And in family medicine, I think one thing is that when you know the families and you know, and you're caring for multiple generations within that family, um, those visits can get very long, you know? So as I progressed in my in my practice over the course of 30 years and accumulated generations and generations of the same family, yeah, every visit was, almost in a way stressful to get through because we needed to talk about like what grandma's doing and then you know the and and all the things you know which all was related to the health to the visit right yes the newborn or yes mother when she goes back to work or whatever and it became and then you know it became like I was just ran so far behind constantly because of these conversations and it made sense that it would this would naturally grow into like a like a dpc type a direct primary care practice yeah that could have that that hour to spend with every visit and it would be not only helpful and enriching for the family but also for me you know? yes That's and then lot. and then when they call in two weeks and and they say um something like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble with evening feeds, right? You already know the context. Okay. We know, you know, the age, we know maybe cluster feeding is happening at this age. Maybe there's a growth and development and, and you can explain all that, but now, you know, because they came last week and they told you about what's going on in their house, that also at that time, the mother-in-law comes over. Also at that time, there's marital conflict because of that context. Also at that time, that the person is feeling really um, depleted because of poor sleep. Um, so they've given you these stories in this context. So now you can certainly give them the medical, say breastfeeding advice, but you can also speak to, oh, this must be so hard at that same time. This is the last thing you wanna deal with is a really fussy infant 
when you're really mentally struggling with having extra family members over and, you know, all this difficulty, because it might not even be about the cluster feeding. It might be about something else. And most of the time, if if you're human, you know, you sometimes say, oh, this is what's going on when in your mind and your heart, you know, it's really something else that's creating the tension and making it difficult for you to whatever, you know, finish your project or do that thing. Um, so I think that's the beauty of it. Um, and I also have ideas if, if you, if you don't have that time, what could you do? I have ideas on that. Great. Yeah. It's almost like being more of a Sherpa than just the physician who gives you, you know, the two minute piece of advice, like, oh, you have to do this then and diagnosis and treats. You're actually like giving, you're actually being a guide for them throughout this, uh, journey of, uh, this life transition. Absolutely. I mean, and, um, Exactly that. And I sometimes tell people I, I'm not here to fix every problem. I have medical knowledge. I have experience. I have, I know evidence and I can give you risks and benefits, but I'm really here to guide you on your journey and you're in charge. And a lot of birthing trauma results from disempowerment, confusion, lack of control and power. Um, and we see that rift and distrust in the medical community especially in this time and other things as well, but especially in birthing and postpartum. Um, so I like to heavily emphasize that people are in charge of their life and I'm here to support them. It doesn't mean that I will withhold life-saving information. It doesn't mean that I will withhold um, the risk and benefits that I see. I won't withhold that from you, but I, you know, I will emphasize that you're in charge of your life. And that really helps people, um, feel in control. And I think it also helps me to feel partnered with that person and develop trust as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a great way of, of thinking about that. Can you tell me a little bit about your own practice and what that looks like? Yes. Um, so I, I do DPC style primary care, um, which is a monthly kind of membership model, um, which affords me the time to my intakes are one and a half hours. So my first patient intake will be one and a half hours. Usually sometimes it'll run over. So I always block a big chunk to do paperwork. And so I have a micro practice. So that means just me, family medicine, and my husband also family medicine, we run it together. Um, uh, so I have a, not all DPCs are run this way. And some people say, if you've seen one DPC, you've seen one DPC. So we all have different flavors, but this is the sort of the flavor that we, we um, provide. Um, and then as a separate, um, and I know this is sort of important to a lot of people who are thinking about this type of care, like how do I actually price it? I do a separate sort of a package model. So it's a one-time fee. Um, I allow people to split it up if they really, if they want to do that financially, it's better for them. Um, a one-time fee that either includes um, two weeks of care, six weeks of care, or 12 weeks of care. Um, and that happens in for that fourth trimester care package that starts at birth and runs for two weeks or six weeks or 12 weeks. Um, and the way I, I do it is I do an intake prior. So I, I try really, it's different than a, a consult model, which you're taking people with a problem already that needs to be solved. So I do do breastfeeding medicine uh, consults for complex cases or um, sometimes. Um, and, but I find that this is so much, for me, it's so much more satisfying and valuable if I can, um, 
be with you from the beginning. And in that first intake for some of our uh, fourth trimester person, we have a really long and involved conversation with, uh, it's usually one and a half to two hours as well, um, with their support person or spouse. Um, and we talk about a lot of things like, you know, hopes, dreams, fears, you know, to be kind of like a little bit abstract about it. But those are the things that people are really thinking about. They're not thinking about, am I, you know, sometimes they do have questions like, should I be hand expressing, you know, immediately after birth, or they'll be, um, you know, having very specific questions about placentas or uh, cord clamping, and they've done research there. But a lot of things that people are grappling with, even if they don't have those questions, are these this internal, these internal questions of identity and meaning. Um, so we talk about them. Uh, we talk about trauma. If there was any trauma, that's really super important. Um, maybe throughout, it could be healthcare related, or maybe um, uh, um, we talk about generational traumas. We talk about um, there can be uh, racial trauma, knowing, you know, certainly like uh, black women who are birthing, can be bringing this with this, this narrative with them, which is really dire and can be difficult. So we talk about those things because those are really going to stay with you once you hit birth, because all of pregnancy builds you up for this birthing process, almost like you're getting to a finish line. But in reality, the story is just starting. So the, the, the real, the real challenging bits are just starting. So really get into all of that, um, um, plans for, for feeding, breastfeeding history, you know, really a full breastfeeding intake in, embedded in there as well. And so people are um, maybe purchasing these packages from you, and then some are uh, your continuity patients who are paying like a monthly fee for mm -hmm. just being part of the practice. Yes. What do you do? And so in terms of um, insurances, do you ever bill insurances or they have to like take a super bill to their insurance? My colleagues, like a lot of my models based on, you know, Michelle Haggerty's model, who's uh, the fourth trimester doc, right? So she, she, she was like the person that created, I mean, that's like the name of her, her company is fourth trimester doc, but she also um, was leading the charge on trying to create a community for this. So I pulled a lot of my model from her and some other colleagues as well. Um, she has mentioned that she does super bills and people will try to get reimbursed, you know, Nithya Natarajan as well says that she does super bills. I've done it a couple times, but I don't even know if it works. So it really depends on the insurance. Um, um, so I don't, I don't promote that I do super bills, but based on, you know, those friends and colleagues, I know that it can be done. So people can, there is some nuance of how you have to code it um, for it to potentially be reimbursed. Um, but you can provide, even if you don't take insurance, you can provide a super bill um, and see if the insurance company will cover any of that if they accept, you know, the codes um, uh, that you provide. And But they, they don't do anything like like um, a continuous charge, like a monthly charge. But if it's a one-time fee and you split it up and you say this was for a breastfeeding uh, lactation consultation or you use that code, they will see it as, you know, they will reimburse, they may reimburse some portion of that. So I'm not, maybe not the best person to answer that question because I've done it, but my patient, I can't remember if she even said, I did three different super bills for her and the first two didn't work. So um, uh, 
Yes. Yeah, so I've, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but I know that it can be done. It's also state to state, you know, depending on what kind of insurances are, are there um, and how they like to see the codes. It's just that game that you have to play, but I know that can be done. Right, right. And then um, I know that some people have said um, that they, one of the reasons they stay in healthcare systems is be just to be able to take care of people who um, are, um, you know, poor people who um, are on medical assistance um, in their states. Uh, do you have any comments on that? I know that there are some people who've actually been able to bill medical assistance and it's actually been okay financially. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a that's an excellent question. Um, I've thought about different models of care, like um, um, a scholarship, you know, a scholarship way of doing it if you want to do individual care like I'm doing. And then there's other ways that, you know, people have ideas of contracting with Medicaid to provide that kind of care. And I know that type of work is being done. It usually is more complex. So if I'm doing like an individual doctor doing individual care, it's it's a little different because I'm really the main point person that does most of the work. But then if you use teams of care with uh, nurses and um, nurse care managers um, that it's either being done or there's a possibility of, of, you know, contracting or, or coordinating or setting up practices in this way. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot of hope and possibility to, there and I'm, sh- and I'm not the expert in this. So I'm sure there's, there's someone else that could speak sort of more deeply about it. Um, but that is something that's really important to me. So, and I think in the four trimester model, we really, uh, emphasize the cultural, political, and social context of the work. So we know there's inequity in birthing, and we know there's bias in birthing. Um, And how do we address that, I think, is a longer road of how do we allow care models to support the most vulnerable populations that are vulnerable due to to inequity, uh, bias, and racism. you know, how do we do that? I think that's a big question mark. I mean, certainly it, it's like a larger, harder to do on an individual level and requires, you know, community level support and hopefully policy support at, at some point. Yeah. So another question I have, is this the going to 12 weeks? And so, you know, I, in my breastfeeding medicine practice, uh, many people are past 12 weeks and they have so many questions and some of that may, there's also still, you know, a degree of postpartum anxiety that some people, you know, maintain and may be undertreated, or they start to have postpartum anxiety and depression as they go back to work and they find themselves really juggling. And so do you find that some of the people who sign up for like a 12-week postpartum care package are asking like, can I just stay longer? Can I yeah, stay? They, yeah. yeah, they usually want to go to DPC you know, they want, you know, they're, they're, they're already DPC and they, they stay on and they know they have that continuity or they want to go to DPC and it's, it's really affordable for them. Um, there's from the the package to like the monthly subscription. Yeah. And my first ever DP, um, post, um, sorry, my first ever fourth trimester patient who started as fourth trimester, um, is, pregnant again. So that's like, I'm seeing the continuity, which is so amazing. It's so amazing. So she's been my patient the entire time. 
after the fourth trimester care. And so to be able to see that journey, it's just it's the same thing as being a family medicine doc and being able to see the generations. Um, but that's uh, so exciting for me in, in practice to be able to the information that you shared and the support you gave the first time is translated for them the second time they feel so much better equipped to you know to to manage and to understand what they're doing the second time that's amazing yeah and in between that there was loss you know pregnancy loss and um so there's there's so many things that i know right off the bat when they say you know uh I, the, the pregnancy test was positive. I already have so much context that I'm coming in with. Right. Right. Um, so what, so we, uh, one thing is the relationship between breastfeeding and lactation medicine and fourth trimester care. So how do you feel like most people who do fourth trimester care are breastfeeding and lactation medicine trained or are trying to become trained in that? I think, I think it would be really difficult to ignore that piece. So I, most people I know, you know, I, I can't say every single, like, I don't have an IBCLC or a CLC. I've done, I don't know, countless hours on IABLE and other types of training and, uh, you know, obviously personal experience, many, many hours, uh, you know, five years of breastfeeding cumulative with my kids. Um, so, you know, I think it would be hard to be in the four trimester space and have no concept, of, you know, no uh, training in that at all. Um, I can imagine maybe like a pelvic floor or maybe, you know, really a musculoskeletal focused would have maybe the emotional piece and the postpartum piece, but maybe not necessarily need the breastfeeding piece um, as much. But you, I think, I think th- they go hand in hand. So feeding and postpartum, uh, every birthing person will lactate in some way, shape, or form, uh, even if they don't provide human milk or breast uh, feeding milk, chest feeding milk to their child. So this is inextricably linked to birthing. So most people I know, yes, they do both. Like I said, I, I have debated doing IBCLC versus you know utilizing the knowledge that I have already. So I think there's people that might not have the the letters, but a lot of people have the letters, you know, whether it's CLC or IBCLC. Um, and you and, know about the, uh, the North American Board of Breastfeeding and Lactation Medicine, so we're hoping to actually have a true board certification within the next two years for physicians. Which I'm sort of holding out on. So I did get a, <laughs> there was, a little birdie did tell me that that's in the works. So I, uh, so I was kind of holding out that I would do that instead. Um, but yeah, so I think that they, they're, they are inextricably linked. I think the paradigm that fourth trimester care provides is one of, you know, human focused, right? So it's not necessarily breastfeeding focus, even though that's, you know, um, like I said, it's, it's linked, it's, it's one with being postpartum. Um, but, you know, the fourth trimester paradigm in my mind, uh, sees the human first. And I know intellectually that the benefits or the health health wise, uh, breastfeeding is going to breast or chest feeding is going to give so many benefits to the, to the infant and the, the person who is feeding. Um, but then my, my main, 
uh, or my first step in has to be human focused to get to that place where we can have a good, great conversation and be able to meet both their goals and also be for me to be able to share what I think is really, really important. So I think, I think they're so related in so many ways. And you said, uh, I can't remember uh, exactly the words, but like as a family medicine person doing breastfeeding work for so many years, aren't I already doing fourth trimester care? And I think in a lot of ways, yes. Um, I think there are some nuances that I, I hope, um, you know, the center for fourth trimester care is hopefully going to put out a statement or, or a definition for what fourth trimester care should be, um, soon, hopefully that'll be sometime soon, um, so that we can have a, a, a scaffold that we can all work off of and point to, to say, this is the work we're doing. But I, I do think that there, there are some nuances, like I think, I think um, trauma-informed care is is just one phrase for it, but acknowledging trauma and making that, uh, you know, knowing that language is a, a really important piece, which you may do that already, um, but to make it formal, to say that we have to be able to use this language the same way we do with hospice care or, you know, palliative care. There's really specific language that they use in that specialty that um, makes it uh, that that they have to know and be trained on to so that we're we're providing an enriching and non-traumatic. We don't want to add to people's trauma during these very delicate times. So they're very. And my sister is an NP in palliative care. So we talk about how we do the exact same thing. She does it for death, and I do it for birth. So oh. we're doing we're doing the same. Um, you know, we're talking in the same ways, and we're having the same lens, and we're using the same paradigm—that really humanistic, patient-focused paradigm—coming um, with a, a narrative lens um, and speaking carefully, right, and in a in a trauma-informed way. So we we joke about that. Right. So one last question I have for you is: How do you get the word out to the population that this is an option? And because many people, like you said, you know as much as we are in a paradigm in medicine, patients are in a paradigm too, that they just, ex- like I hear patients yeah. all the time in the breastfeeding medicine clinic, you know, the, the uh, you know, lactating parent will say, um, yeah, I have this, this issue. Um, and I said, well, you know, who, you know, who do you identify as your primary care provider? Yeah. Or you, you would go to, oh, it's my OB. I have an appointment at six, six weeks. weeks. It'll be okay. Yeah. Because they, figure that they don't want to bother this person and that that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to hold out until six weeks Yes, when the vagina is supposed to be healed and when they could possibly start sex as the time period that they should, you know, be seen just like the two week exam, you know, they leave the hospital, they maybe are seen once. Okay. You're good for two weeks. And now they have to walk on hot coals until they get to two weeks and find out they're being game, Right. And so, and so I think we have our population trained in the same paradigm uh, that we have designed medically. And yes. Get the word out that people deserve better care. I think that's, that. there's the rub, right? That's the question. Right. There's the rub. And I feel uh, even in the statements, you know, ACOG has a statement on post optimizing postpartum care. They use the word fourth trimester. Um, they have a framework for how that, that work should look. Um, so I think people are trying to shift this paradigm 
Um, but there's also, you know, I've seen opinion articles from, you know, an OB perspective as well saying, you know, you need to speak up, you need to, you know, ask your doctor these questions, you know, you know, if you've ever been in a postpartum state, you are not doing any of those things, right? You're not writing down your questions before you go to your weight check, you know, um, you're not trying to be proactive, you're surviving, you know, you're in a survival state. So the onus is on us, the onus is on the physician community, um, other types of postpartum provider communities, um, including like doulas, lactation specialists, um, even speech, you know, anybody that's going to be interacting in this in this space, the onus is on us to do the advocacy. And, and it's really strong in the doula community. There's a lot of advocacy. And one thing that we're trying to do is meld the, there can be dissonance between those communities and physician communities, um, but tr- trying to meld that dissonance and create a unified voice in postpartum providers. I think that's one thing that can change the narrative and shift the perspective. I think the onus has to be on us communities, policymakers, we have to do the work, right? We have to do the work to say, we believe in this part of life. We believe in birthing people and families. These are the people that will take care of our whole, our whole population, right? This, so these are, these are working people that are taking time to have a child. And then that child will grow up and be part of the population. So this is a really important time and policymakers have to start creating policy to support and basic things, of course, paid leave, we don't have it, right? And we see it in maternal morbidity and mortality and and such devastating numbers that are showing that we're not doing it, we're not doing the work. So the onus is not on the patient to say, you know, advocate for themselves. And we see that in in horrendous stories uh, of racial disparity that people do advocate for themselves and still outcomes are really, really bad. So um, those things are so devastating to see, you know, as any birthing person that that can have, those things can happen like death and infant mortality. Um, So I, I feel such an impetus and and not that I can do everything myself, but I can do things like talk about fourth trimester care here and I can keep advocating for my patients in small ways. Um, so I think that's a way to shift the culture. If we think it's important as, you know, as, as uh, culturally and politically and socially, patients will say, oh, this is you know, people will say, oh, I, I have a voice. I can, I can ask for these things. And that's why as a family medicine DPC doc, I can set up that expectation. I'm not waiting for you to call me. I'm having the prenatal visit. You know, I don't call it prenatal visit, but a, a before birth visit about your postpartum care. Um, I'm having that visit and saying, I'm going to call you. This is, this is a two, two day visit. This is 24 hour visit. This is one week visit. It's already set up. So we need, and, and like I said, ACOG does have a, 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 um, a statement that outlines some of that. And it's very, it's obviously maternal focused, OB focused, um, but we need that same thing. We need to start setting up those paradigms and those scaffolds for people in care so that we can start saying, you know, if you can't do it as a physician in a, you know, a, cat, a direct care practice, how about the nurse care manager? How about, how about we start setting up phone calls? We can do that um, in a, even in a fee for service world. It's, it's again, it's not, we don't have to change the care. We just have to change how we think about it. And then now we'll, we'll set yeah. those things up. Yeah, that's, that sounds, uh, yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. I couldn't stop nodding my head with everything that you had to say. It's excellent. 
Um, so yeah, I think we should probably wrap up. So um, do you have any last things that you, any last words or ideas that you want to share before we, uh, for a call it a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thanks for giving me that opportunity. I would say, you know, you know, reach out, do, do as a physician or a person in, um, as a lactation specialist, as a person that interacts with the postpartum world, um, uh, um, nurse practitioners, other advanced practice nurses and nurses, um, postpartum nurses, uh, uh, and delivery people, you know, read the research and, and don't turn a blind eye to the reality. We know that this, ha we know there's trauma in birth. We know there's racial disparity. We know the maternal morbidity and mortality numbers, um, that we need this type of work. So if you have an inkling of it, or if you have any kind of power, speak up, ask for changes, whether it's policy changes within your hospital or your care setting, whether it's advocating for your patients in their work settings, um, you know, do any kind of small step uh, towards acknowledging for trimester care or postpartum care um, and the importance of it, whatever we call it, we know what we want, you know, the outcome, we know that we need to support people during this time. So I would say, if you've ever thought about it, um, reach out to other providers, try to collaborate. You know, we try to collaborate as, you know, C4TC's one main goal is also to collaborate with postpartum providers as well to create that unified voice. Um, so yeah, I think that's it. Just um, don't give up on this work, even though it's it's really hard. And of course you've been doing the work in breastfeeding medicine for so long already, and you know how much of a fight it is to have to keep fighting for, for these things. And now we have this other term that, you know, I think encompasses a lot of the same values and goals and that we just got to keep, uh, kind of chipping away at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk. And, uh, I think people, especially uh, hopefully medical students and residents will hear this and, um, start to think about shifting that paradigm, um, yes. they observe as they gain their education and really can, um, think outside the box and how care could be different. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks yeah. so much for the opportunity. Yeah. Thanks. For questions regarding this podcast, please contact us through our website at lacted.org. We have other educational projects, including the Clinical Question of the Week, our Little Green Book of Breastfeeding Management for Physicians, and our various educational courses and conferences for physicians and other breastfeeding supporters. If you want to see what we look like, check out our Breastfeeding Medicine podcast Facebook page, where you can post any questions or comments about our podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you in about four weeks.